Hello, and welcome to Frank Fryer Fridays. This is Father Patrick Bykowskis, broadcasting from St. Dominic Priory in St. Louis, Missouri. And welcome back. I think this is episode 31. I'm going to begin with a prayer that I wrote this week. Then we tweaked a little bit at our uh, at the center at WashU, thinking about the um, the trial this week and the verdict in the uh, George Floyd case. We were inspired to write this prayer. Loving God, we turn our hearts towards you in pain because of injustices in our country, in our neighborhoods, and churches. Help us to see how we can bring an end to this pain, especially that caused by racial injustice. We pray for our leaders, that they all may seek solutions that model love for one another. May we each find words and actions that identify us as peace seekers and peacemakers, and that helps us to identify and unify our nation as one under your loving and compassionate care. Amen. And I'm going to be talking about our mission trips, the mission trips that have been going on at St. Thomas Aquinas at uh, Purdue University for dozens of years now. I don't think I can put an exact number on it. I would guess something close to 30 years. We have been part of, uh, St. Tom's has been part of a parish twinning program. And St. Tom's began going to a, a little village in the mountains in the Diocese of Jacmel called Baudin. And as I understand the way it progressed, we began with helping the school. And all of these things are ongoing efforts at St. Tom's. St. Tom's has never stopped in continuing to work with Bodan, but it began with assisting the schools and then bringing better health care there by sponsoring medical mission trips, both for general medical issues and, and dental issues, eye doctors. And then we have had student trips. Dozens of our students have been involved in trips to Haiti. St. Tom's sends, of course, the, there has been some disruption in Haiti prior to COVID, which prevented us, prevented St. Tom's from going. And now COVID has disrupted that as well. But typically St. Tom's goes four or five times a year to Haiti. And I think that prayer that I used to begin this segment speaks also to the reasons why we go to Haiti. And I have had parishioners ask me, why are we doing something like that in a country so far away? Why aren't they able to take care of themselves? Why don't we do things in our poor neighborhoods and for the poor in our own country? And the, my response is, well, you know what? It's not an either or, it's a both and proposition. It's not that we have to make a choice between Haiti and sacrificing other efforts. We're going to do both, and we and they have done both at St. Tom's. We do extraordinary things in our local community and around the country, and 
also in places like Haiti and Cuba and Puerto Rico and Bolivia. And I am, I continue to be very proud of all that St. Thomas has done. I remember when Bishop Doherty came to Lafayette as a brand new bishop, and he said, St. Thomas is really the gold standard when it comes to issues of social justice in our communities. And I send people there if that's what they're looking for in a new parish. And that, that makes me very proud that we have and that St. Tom's has that kind of a reputation. There's all of the trips that I was privileged to, to go on from the very first one was with, with Jim Altapeter and Sue Alexander and Dwayne and Jane Sellers when I was a student brother, and I was able to go on another trip with uh, Jim and Sue. But I do want to mention the, the people at St. Tom's that have given so much, those individuals, but also R.A. DeSutter and John Ginda, Rob Paul, Tom Mastillo, Tom Newitt, John Smith, and, and as I said, dozens and dozens of students that have participated in mission trips to Haiti that I know has changed their lives. In 2010, on, on, well, let me back up a little bit. On January 1st, 2010, I became the pastor of St. Thomas Aquinas by the grace of God and the, the uh, approval of, of Bishop Higgy at the time. And I wasn't in West Lafayette on January 1st, 2010. I was in Bodan, and I know I will never forget the celebration that those people had for me as the new pastor of this parish that 99% of them will never see, and how touched I was, and how, I, how important it was, I think, for me to be there on that day. Uh, because I certainly feel a strong connection to, I, and I do say that in the present tense, I, f I still feel a strong connection to the people there. Uh, if you know anything about Haiti and you know its history, days after we left from that 2010 mission trip and that very, and very special student, all of our, our students are special that go to Haiti, they give up their Christmas break to go to the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Days after we returned, the earthquake hit, and one of the people that was killed was one of our guides. He was the first time that he had ever accompanied one of the St. Tom's mission trips. His name was Jean Vier, and when they dug him out of his home, he was holding his baby in his arms, and they were both killed in that. So it really had a powerful impact on our students who had become so close to him. He was a, a, a enormously charming, gregarious, loving man. And you could tell, even though we weren't with his children on that trip, what a wonderful father he was to his children. So it greatly impacted us. A couple years later, I had a, a occasion one year when I, I, I typically have been going to Haiti twice a year. And the... Um, one, that one year, about four, two, the, two years after the earthquake, I, ha I happened to go four times because I was helping to facilitate a trip for my Dominican brothers that were going to Haiti 
in the summer as a sort of a mission experience themselves. And uh, a young man who was a Purdue graduate uh, who uh, was born as Bernabe Davila. His religious name now is Vincent Davila, and I know that many of my listeners know him. He's now a priest studying his Ph.D. at Notre Dame University. He had been there for um, some time that summer, and he told me about an orphanage that he had been visiting that had been founded by a Dominican brother of ours, Father Charles Moise, a Haitian Dominican friar, and he had founded this orphanage just outside of Port-au-Prince on a good day when there's no traffic. It only takes about a half an hour to get to TTN. And it was founded for the children who had been left as orphans because of the earthquake. I have to have a little sip of water. If you can hear, I have a little <coughs> frog in my throat. Excuse me one second as I have some liquid here. And he wanted me to, to visit the orphanage. And so I did. And anyone who has been to the orphanage in Titayan can attest to the reality that the children there quickly capture your hearts. And I think the first time I was there, I was only there for a day because we weren't staying overnight. But I was so darned impressed by all that Father Charles had done. He had taken a an empty hill. There was nothing at all there and had built something pretty extraordinary with a lot of of effort on his part and the resources of Caritas and Food for the Poor and CRS, Catholic Relief Services and other agencies around the world really. And it had started with about 80 children and he put a built a school there as well because there wasn't a school in this little village and the people in this little village heard that there was a school up on top of the hill at the orphanage so they started sending their children to school there and before you knew it they had about four or five hundred children attending school only 82 lived there and so I got to know Father Charles on that trip and he asked me to to come back and so about a year later we split our trip we went to Bodan for a few days and then we went over to Titayen this is during Christmas break of course and they're both wonderful experiences, and we do extraordinary things in Bodan and have, and I think we have really changed people's lives there. A, a little sidebar, the first time I went to Haiti was the, the Christmas break, 2004-2005, and I remember studying up on Haiti and reading about the history, reading Paul Farmer's books about Haiti. Maybe there was just one book about Haiti at that point. And then I was reading some article that said there was 40 to 50,000 non-governmental organizations, what we would call not-for-profits in this country. And I thought they meant there was 40,000 people working in NGOs, non-governmental organizations. 
And they said, no, 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 there's 40,000 different organizations. And of course, you'll think, and rightly so, that this can't be an efficient way to bring assistance to this poor country. But one of those NGOs is St. Tom's. And so, of course, what we're doing feels like the right thing to do. And we're if, if all we do is make this village a, a place where people can get a good education and get good health care and clean water, then we're going to do everything we can for that village. Maybe that's all we'll be able to do. And I'm sure that there are other NGOs that, that feel the same way. They're going to do their part because the government is just clearly incapable of providing the services that the people of Haiti need. So we split our trip and went to TTN. And again, the, the thing that happened to me happened to the students that what were accompanying. I was accompanying on that trip, and the, the, the children there st- stole their hearts. And so it, it quickly changed into a, a mission trip for the students that was was only directed toward TTN. We continued and continue to this day, ex, you know, except for the COVID interruptions, to send four or five mission trips to Bodan. But for the students, we pretty much dedicated ourselves to working in the orphanage. And so the, the student prisoners and resident prisoners now as well have been going there and really become invested in what we can do to make this orphanage self-sufficient. There's a, there's a way that we don't have the kind of obstacles that we are presented with sometimes, but they're good obstacles in Bodan. You have, it's a village, and there's a lot of people that have a say in what we do there and what they need, and that's right and correct. In, in the, in, in the uh, situation with the orphanage in TTN, it's really Father Charles couple of religious sisters that he has that work with him that make the decisions about what happens. So it's a, it's a much smaller scale, but they can do, they're sort of more agile. They're, they're quicker on their feet and have had great success in creating a situation where the orphanage is growing to be self-sufficient through things that, the, the crops that they're growing, animals that they're raising, and it's pretty remarkable uh, when you look at this this sort of desolate spot that have turned into maybe a little bit hyperbole, a, a little bit of an Eden in the midst of a lot of chaos. On one of the trips, I would say about four years ago that we took to Titeyen, and again, we, we as I mentioned in a previous trip, we don't try to take jobs away from Haitians. Father Charles, as I was getting on the bus to go back to the airport, he, he grabs me and says, you know, I think it would be really wonderful if we had a basketball court for our, 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 our young people. And I said, oh, wow, I think that's a nice idea. Now, all I ever saw these, the, the, young, the children there was playing soccer, but, he, but Father Charles liked to play basketball. And I said, how much do you think it would cost? And he told me, and I was doing the math and I, in my head, and I said, I think we can do that. So the next trip, and I had told them get all the supplies ahead of time. Now this is the one time where we did do a, a fair amount of work, but it was all the 
unskilled labor. We hired people who knew what they were doing to pour concrete. And I thought he was thinking about a half court. <laughs> he wasn't thinking about a half court. He wanted a full basketball court. And we did it all by hand, shoveling, hauling tons of rock and sand and cement and water to this spot and put the forms in. And so, as I said, we had skilled or you know, semi-skilled people pouring the concrete, but we were, we were mixing the concrete with one of those hand sorts of, of uh, it, you know, it looks like one of those big trucks, but it's just, a, it's just the size of a wheelbarrow and it spins the, and, and mixes the concrete. But we did it. We did it in a week. And it was just amazing. So then, it was exhausting too. I'm getting back on the bus. <laughs> Once again, he grabs me and says, well, you know, these children don't know how to play basketball. And I said, yes, I, I, I get that. And he said, well, what would you think about putting on a basketball camp? And I said, well, okay, let me th see what I can do. And it would be too long of a story, but I, honestly, the, within three or four months, and it, and it uh, started with the Connor family, and they, uh, Rob Connor was was visiting me in my office. He was leaving, had never been on a, a mission trip and regretted it and asked if there was anything that he could do in his last semester. And I said, well, golly, have you ever, um, have you ever uh, played basketball or done anything like with a basketball camp? And his eyes got as big as saucers. And he says, well, that's, I, I love playing basketball. I said, well, we're trying to put together a basketball camp. And that started it. And one thing led to another. And then the Obermiller uh, family and the sons got involved. And that summer, we put on a basketball camp for about 30 of the students, men and women, who had, didn't know a basketball from a ping pong ball. And even by the end of that session, uh, that, that first summer camp, they still looked a little rough, but boy, did they, they love it. And the great thing about basketball is you just need a child and a basketball and a hoop. And those children would be out there from sunrise to well after sunset, dribbling and shooting. And it was remarkable when we went back how they had improved. And then we did another, the following summer, we did another, another basketball camp and then another basketball camp. The Olympic training camp for all of Haiti is only five miles from the orphanage, just outside of Titayen. And the coach there had heard about these children that were learning how to play basketball. So when we weren't there, this coach started coming up. And you know, it's one of those things I think we can make a movie out of the experience that we had with these these children. And, and the confidence it gave them. So you know, it wasn't just merely the, the, the some something to, to occupy their their time there was this one young lady who was always angry and it was very difficult to be with her and we f basically the father Charles forced her to be to participate in that first basketball camp she didn't want to do it she resisted she resisted and and the other the other children there the other orphans they didn't like being around her either 
she has become the best basketball player among the women. She, she'll give a young man a run for his money, too. And it changed her. She developed so much confidence in herself. And she's now, one of the, I would say, one of the more popular girls there. Well, what happened is that five of our young men made the national team for Haiti. <laughs> Here, you know, four or five years ago, these, these young people didn't know how to play basketball or, or know what it is, and they had developed to be the best in the, 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 some of the best in the country. They won the city championship, this orphanage that nobody had ever heard of, uh, all of a sudden come out, come out of nowhere and win the city championship in basketball. And the same year they won the city championship in soccer. I don't know if there's any overlap there, but I think it's made them into to, to young people who really have a sense of pride about what they are able to accomplish once they have some a little guidance. Boy, they sure have the heart for it and what they can do as a result of that. So I'm so gosh darn proud of them. So there we are. Another week is over. Uh, God bless you all. And let us all pray for one another and we pray for our country in these difficult and challenging times that we can get beyond the pandemic and somewhat back to normalcy and that we can work in, in things like doing as well as saying how we can end injustice in our country and in our world wherever opportunities present themselves. God bless you.